This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Reimagine Law. Now today we're going to be showcasing an initiative by the Bar Council about social mobility advocates. This is a team of volunteer barristers who come from non-traditional backgrounds to try and encourage others to do so. Um, and we're delighted to be joined today by Ang Harrod Price. Now Simon, I know you and Ang Harrod have had a, a bit of a chat before coming on. Um, perhaps you want to uh, progress. Thank you, Fran. Um... Yeah, well, let's get started, shall we? Um, uh, Anne Harris got lots of really interesting things to talk about, so I should keep quiet and uh, and get things going. So, Anne Harris, do you want to just kick off with just talking a little bit about uh, about you uh, and obviously um, I am the bar. Yeah, great. Well, my name's Anghara Price and I'm the Welsh lawyer at the Equality and Human Rights Commission. And I had a very much a non-traditional route to the bar myself. And also I work as an employed barrister, so I don't work in the most traditional of roles either. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to get involved in um, this campaign as a social mobility advocate was to highlight for people, particularly in Wales and outside of London, the types of opportunities there are for barristers. Um, You'll see if you look at so it's a the campaign called hashtag I am the bar. And if you go on the Bar Council's website and look, there's lots of stories. There's 10 new social mobility advocates this year, but it's been running for the last two years, and there's examples of people from the last couple of years. And 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 I attended the pupillage fair, the Bar Council's online pupillage fair on Saturday with some of the other social mobility advocates and learned more about them as well. And, and all of the stories are really inspiring. So and when I say from a non-traditional background, it's probably best I say a bit more about that, about myself. Um, before going on to, the, to any more things. Um, I am from Wales, so I didn't want to move to London and become a barrister and all of those things. Um, I went to you know, an ordinary state school, which is, I understand now, there's sort of 93% of the population go to state schools, but it's certainly not that percentage of people who become barristers. So the majority of barristers probably, yeah, the, or the what's considered to be the traditional background for a barrister is that you um, went to a private school and you went to Oxford or Cambridge, and then you um, become a uh, highly paid self-employed barrister in chambers in London and that's I suppose considered the traditional route um, and I certainly didn't do that I was in a you know an, an ordinary state school and I went to Aberystwyth University because I obviously wanted to stay in Wales and learn about Welsh law and uh, and I did not go straight to pupillage I got legal experience I cross-qualified as solicitor and then fully qualified as a barrister after that um, but I guess from one from, you know, if you read my story on the Bar Council's website, I think that um, what might be seen as a non-traditional and different background turned into a positive because my current job is absolutely vital that I understand Welsh law and devolution and the different aspects. So having stayed in Wales and studied in Wales um, and worked in the Welsh legal sector is an absolute benefit for me um, in my current job. And I wouldn't be in that job if I hadn't uh, sort of followed that route. Um, so, so that's one of the reasons I sort of wanted to highlight it. And the other side of things was, yeah, to highlight that um, being an employed barrister is an option uh, as well, instead of being in chambers. So I think the traditional view of what a barrister does is, you know, going to chambers and going to court every day. And particularly when I was young and, and wanting to be a barrister, I, you know, had a picture, I guess, of being a criminal barrister in the Crown Court every day with my wig and gown. And I've probably done about 
three trials in my entire career where I've worn my wig and gown because of um, doing more civil law and employment and now you know public law it's just not very common for me to be in court in that way um, but I really enjoy my job because I get to deal with really challenging legal concepts particularly the Equality and Human Rights Commission so one of the sides of things I think people sometimes forget is that dealing with really complex interesting legal challenges is another side of being a barrister um, and you can certainly have that benefit being an employed barrister. Fantastic, thank you. And I love the way that your different your different background from the tradition actually be- has become an advantage for you. I think that's absolutely fantastic um, that, that that's the case. So thank you. So I, I, I know you, you mentioned you, you go to a number of different events and I know you recently spoke at the Aspiring Barrister Committee, I think at Cardiff University. Uh, and I just thought it'd be quite useful actually just to share what some of those kind of key topics were that, that were asked about talked about um, uh, on that and and just share that on this podcast Mm, yeah so um, I I actually got to ask some really interesting questions uh, by the aspiring barristers committee and also at the pupillage fair and we have a a long Q&A at the IM uh, a specific booth for the campaign on um, Saturday at the pupillage fair um, the bar council ran as well and one of the really interesting questions that I got asked um, by aspiring barristers was about salaries and you know um what what you might earn as an employed barrister as opposed to a self-employed barrister and um that's not an easy question to answer the the bar council did do um an employed barristers survey so they went into it and there's um sort of classifications under that but actually depending what area of law you go into and who you're employed by by as an employed barrister can very much change the 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 salary you might earn but actually that's exactly the same in self-employed practice so you know certainly the junior end of the criminal bar you would not be earning mega bucks whereas uh, i think francis wants to come in yeah i was just about to say I am um, even after being at the criminal bar for quite a number of years I definitely ended up earning more in my now employed position uh, that, that I did there you know of course it fluctuates doesn't it when you're in practice but I can absolutely what you're saying is resonating very deeply with me right now <laughs> I think the one thing to remember, though, is, you know, if you're employed um, and I also went to um, the Middle Temple are running some specific employed barrister seminars at the moment. And they had a particularly two people from, you know, big in-house um, com- uh, companies and their salaries are certainly as high as you might earn in this, you know, high end of the, the self-employed bar. Um, so it, it does sort of fluctuate. You know, obviously my current job, I'm on, you know, civil service salaries and, and you can go up uh, within that. Um, and I used to be I used to work in local government. Uh, you know, your average salary there, starting salary would be similar to a basic solicitor salary, you know, £30,000, something like that. And you can obviously earn more the more experience you get. Um, but it really depends on who you're employed by and, and in what area of law you want to work. So, you know, Similarly, in, in the employed bar, if you're in, you're doing um, commercial law, you're probably going to be in a, a, a top 500 company and earn a lot of money. Whereas if you're employed by a law centre, you're possibly down the other end of the spectrum in some ways. But it depends what type of area, area you want to work in and, you know, how much money you're interested in and what experience you earn. So that was one of the really interesting questions. We also had a lot of questions on um, Saturday about um, from various different people with um, either things like disabilities or childcare responsibilities and, you know, how that might work with um, how that might be seen by people recruiting to the bar and also how you might cope with the the difficulties of the job. And, And for me, that kind of resonated because I think being an employed barrister, sometimes that can be easier. That's not to say there aren't chambers that 
that have you know excellent policies to help people manage um, childcare responsibilities or you know to make adjustments for people with disabilities. Um, but actually, being an employed barrister, often you're more part of a legal team, perhaps. And so it's not every role, but there is perhaps more opportunities. And certainly, um, you know, everyone should be encouraged, regardless of those things, to to uh, become a barrister. But um, I would say I, all of my responses to the questions were, you know, think about being an employed barrister because you may find that some of those challenges are a bit easier. Uh, not everything. And the other thing uh, that we got asked a lot about was about moving from one to the other. So, you know, Francis has, has, has given an example of someone who's been in the self-employed bar and moved to the employed bar. I think uh, a lot of people are concerned that once you've chosen a career path, there's no way to move, move from one to the other. Um, and I don't think that's true. You know, I think as barristers, we often, you know, I last year was working in central government and Welsh government, uh, responding to judicial reviews. And now in my current role, we're sort of looking at the opposite side of things in terms of uh, either side of a, a legal dispute. But also it's easy enough to be, you know, employed and then move to the self-employed bar or move back and or unless you're in a really specialist area move areas of law as well you know which is something I've done in my career really because I um, started off doing um, civil litigation just going to court every day pretty much like a junior barrister would although I was employed by uh, as an advocate um, but I then moved into doing uh, employment law and as a solicitor in private practice but then I moved to public sector doing employment housing and as I said, local government law, where you end up pretty much doing everything from um, non-police prosecutions to licensing to, to uh, you know, everything and everything in between, really. And then I was fortunate, I suppose, I moved to Welsh government doing public law. And then now my current job is obviously focused on equality and human rights. So that, I think, probably shows how you can really move about um, unless unless you, you, you're very clear that you want a very clear specialised uh, specialist area it is possible to move from one thing to the other brilliant and the other thing we talked about in Harris when we last chatted was um around gaining barrister work experience yeah. you know and and how to do that um uh, and uh, and indeed how uh, with uh, this virtual world that we're living in arguably it's become easier so just want yeah. to talk a little bit about that whole how do I get work experience piece yeah Absolutely. Yeah. When I spoke to the Aspiring Barristers Committee and at the Pupilage Fair, you know, everyone's very concerned that the normal um, vacation schemes, whatever you call them, and uh, mini pupilages and work experience that, it, that you would normally see um, for, for aspiring lawyers to take part in, most of those schemes and things are not available at the moment. Um, but the, the tip I sort of gave them or the advice I, I gave them was to try and replicate what they might have got from a mini pupilage um, in, and to look for it. So, for example, at the moment, you're really fortunate you can watch uh, Supreme Court hearings. I watched um, Supreme Court hearing into a really interesting equality case a couple of months ago, Zed and Hackney Housing Association. And then the judgment was handed down on Friday. And you're able to watch those, you know, very interesting um, court hearings online remotely. They're on YouTube. They're very accessible. Um, and that's the type of thing you do when you're pure on a mini people to follow people around and watch court hearings. Obviously, ordinarily, you'd also try and speak to barristers about their own experiences, how they became uh, a lawyer and how they, um, you know, how they see cases and things like that. And, and the way I try and replicate that is by, you know, there are, there are also loads of webinars, almost every chambers. And, you know, certainly we're offering um, various different events. We did an event a couple of weeks ago, which you can view online still, um, celebrating 10 years of the Equality Act. So you can view that on legal news um, 
uh, web Legal News Wales website at the moment, and we did another one about remote hearings a couple of months ago. So there's loads of opportunities for sort of online um, Q and A's uh, in those sorts of sessions where you can ask people. And then the last thing I would do is just contact people directly. I've had lots of people um, request me and message me on LinkedIn, for example, since the weekend at the Pupilage Fair. You know, they they found me and they've asked questions, and I, I think that's just a brilliant way of replicating what you might have got from those traditional schemes. In many ways, the um, opportunities are more plentiful at the moment because it's virtual, which means that there, there aren't those limits on numbers and also distance. I know obviously we're talking about the fact that you're based in Wales and quite a lot of things are London centric. So it's a different time for work experience, but perhaps also more opportunities. Yeah, I've definitely benefited because, uh, yeah, you know, physically for me, it's sometimes difficult to get up to London for meetings. And, you know, where I said, I said I've been to Middle Temple's um, employed uh, bar courses so in the past. They've probably done them more in person. You have to go up to Middle Temple um, in to, to, to go to those. La, uh, last week I was talking at the Legal Wales conference. So that's normally held at one of the universities in Wales. Um, and um, this year it was online and there was just, you know, so many members of the judiciary and the legal sector in Wales. That, that you wouldn't ordinarily be able to get um, all at a physical conference online. So it's just so much more. I found it easier myself. And I would definitely say to students, go out and seek those opportunities. Fantastic. And, and linked to that, Anarad, the, um, with this move to more virtual, um, just thinking about remote court, uh, court hearings and what, what, what's going on at the moment and what do you think the future might be for court hearings in, in, in this virtual world? Yeah, so uh, actually, uh, when I started at the at the commission in my current job a year ago, we were completing an inquiry into the criminal justice system and um, the difficulties for people, for particularly disabled people. So with um, learning disabilities, neurodiverse conditions, uh, the difficulties for remote hearings. Um, Previously, I guess uh, in the, that would be one of the areas where there has been remote hearings, and we were just concluding our report about all those difficulties and how um, in you know in person hearing should be preferred, um, and just ready to publish that in March. And we obviously had to effectively um, reconsider, if you like, our findings and recommendations um, in that area. We were very fortunate that we hadn't actually published, so we published an interim report with some of the findings to to, to make suggestions, and then we did a, a follow up full report in June, and we did, as I said, a hearing in in way which you can still view online on um, Legal News Wales as well, um, with different barristers talking about their experience of remote hearings. Um, and, you know, as I've, as I've said, our, report, our inquiry report highlighted the difficulties for some people with communication. Um, but again, there are opportunities with remote hearings. So in Wales, um, we are hearing last week that actually the backlogs that have been seen in some other places, because Wales has had... Um, better engagement in terms of the remote hearings. There hasn't been the same backlog, even in criminal hearings, which we've heard elsewhere. Um, so there are opportunities with it because physically getting around Wales and obviously the rest of the UK can sometimes be an issue for people to get to hearings. So sometimes timing wise, you've saved time with remote hearings. Um, and also we've had a lot more discussions now about um, hybrid hearings. So I think the likelihood we'll see in the future is that um, and the Employment Tribunal, which is sort of my background, one of my areas of background, um, has always done case management hearings um, by telephone rather than people having to travel to hearings. So I would hope that we'll see um, sort of in the future um, the benefits being felt by the court system and everyone that uses it um, from that. So that, uh, you know, if remote hearings can be used, you know, 
when you when you see the Supreme Court and Court of Appeal hearings that I mentioned, you'll see that because they don't involve evidence and lots of people attending, it's very easy usually for the the um, lawyers in those hearings to to present virtually and then for them to be heard and those sorts of things, and for them to reach a much wider audience in terms of transparency of justice. So there are sort of opportunities, but there are also risks. So one of the reasons that there are hybrid hearings is, and 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 on the event I mentioned. Uh, uh, one of the QCs in Wales was talking about, you know, dealing with a really difficult family court hearing where there are lots and lots of um, witnesses and parties and different people and a particular very vulnerable witness that needed support um, attending in person and the judge being there just with them at a distance, whereas everyone else was virtual. And I think that's one of the one of the things we're going to have to move to, which is you know some sort of hybrid system where when there really is a need for people to go and give evidence in person, it, it does happen. But otherwise we take the benefit from remote systems. Do you think, Ang Harrod, that the, the full gravitas of the court hearings is, is felt for people who are involved in them when they're remote? For example, um, if someone's children were being removed from a family or someone being sentenced, you know? Yeah, I think that's been a bit of an issue. I, I went to one of the um, meetings with the Employment Tribunal judges a couple of weeks ago, and one of the issues that's been, that's uh, sort of linked issues to that is that um, they said they've had to um, stop hearings where people are sort of doing it inappropriate um, situations. You know, they've got their children with them, perhaps, or that in some circumstances driving or, um, you know, they're outside in a public area and those sorts of things. And, and we did talk about, you know, whether people really feel that the, the same sense of justice if they're sat watching a screen at home. Um, but if somewhere, and also linked to that, you know, digital problems, I guess, with people, um, you know, not having the appropriate facilities at home and those sorts of things um, that can be felt from it. Um, but I, I do think if, you know, if a judge makes a judgment and is able to explain it to you properly, that can have the same effect in a remote hearing rather than um, rather than having to, to go to a court, which sometimes people don't feel... Uh, make sense to them either you know that was part of our findings in our inquiry report where that a lot of defendants who had communication problems came out of a, an in-person hearing and didn't understand it in the same way as a remote hearing so you know there, there are problems and benefits from it both that's really interesting thank you uh, uh, and it's fascinating to kind of hear what the future might look like um that's, you know i'm really excited to see how that's being uh, embraced um, and as we kind of move to to to, to wrap up, Anne Harrod, um, what are there any final tips or, or or things you'd like to share that for for people who are considering a career in the legal sector? A, any kind of uh, things that yeah, if, you, if there's one or two key things that you could share with with someone, what would they be? I think one of the other issues that um, I haven't sort of raised massively, but um, we talked about was that you know. The coronavirus has had an impact in exacerbating inequalities. So, for example, um, in some of the commission's report, we, we've shown how the impact on women linked to things like childcare and access to jobs has, has, has impacted. Um, and I would hope that by sharing um, some of my experiences about, you know, being an employed barrister or different routes to the bar, some of those things would combat some of those inequalities. Um, and the same applies to the questions I said I had about, you know, disabilities and and other sorts of issues putting people off being a barrister. So I would hope people would, and, and similarly, I guess, what we talked about with remote hearings and opportunities for work experience, I would hope people would see that sometimes um, out of this, there will be opportunities rather than be discouraged by it. So there isn't always, um, you know, the whole the whole purpose of the I Am The Bar uh, campaign is to say not, you know, you don't have to be from a traditional background um, to become a barrister. And I think that applies to all of the things we talked about today. So you don't have to think, oh, I can't 
can't get a, you know I can't get that work experience with that specific firm that's not available at the moment think try and just think what are the other options do a bit of research look you know there are lots of resources on the bar council website and and loads of other places um like this podcast to learn about other opportunities for people um, and so i say just go out and look for them they may not be the obvious but they definitely are there that's fantastic yeah thank you and, and that chimes so much with the theme for these these podcasts as a whole it is exactly that point so uh, uh about go out and try new things and 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 find new ways to get to get the insight and the information that, that you need to help you make good decisions. So, and Howard, really big thank you from uh, uh, for, from me. Yeah, it was brilliant. Thank you. Um, I was just going to say, uh, Simon, I've been thinking about actions because, of course, we always leave our listeners with some actions to do. Um, and one of the ones that's really struck me um, as Ang Howard has been talking is to go online and to watch a court hearing. And, you know, um, I was watching, I think it was the BBC News only yesterday. This is probably showing what day we, we recorded this episode on. And watch a little bit of the um, of the snippet of the inquiry into the Manchester Arena bombing, and it was fascinating to watch the evidence being given. And that was just a clipper on on the BBC News. So perhaps our listeners can go to the Supreme Court website and have a look around and see what's available. I don't know whether there was anything else, um, Simon, that struck you as an action. Yeah, and I think the other piece is, uh, as we talked about, is, is think about other ways that you can get. Uh, I know we've talked about this a lot through a number of the podcasts that we've done, how else you can get an experience of what the work is like, whether that's talking to people through, you know, connecting with people LinkedIn. And and my experience is people are surprisingly generous with their time. Not everyone will be, but you will find people who are happy to share and and, and give some experiences. So, So definitely, you know, and again, in this virtual world that we are in, really think about the different ways that you can get those insights uh, that may not have been available to you uh, uh, pre-COVID. Yeah, absolutely. Well, fantastic. Thanks so much, um, Ang Howard, for joining us on this episode. Um, And we hope that you've enjoyed listening to it. If you have, we'd be really grateful if you could give us a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And please do remember that we have our own Reimagine Law LinkedIn page. We'd love to link with you, our listeners. And please always do feel free to send us a direct message if you have any ideas for future episodes. So with that in mind, um, thanks for joining us. And we hope you're listening again soon.